put your watch on the table. Did you just turn my thousand dollar watch into a bowl of ice cream? That's my power. Can you turn it back? No. Great. You don't understand. I can urinate four times the volume and frequency of any human being. I'm sorry, that sounds more like a medical condition. It's a mutant power. It's a medical condition. Mutant power! Mutant medical power! Ah! I can see any man in the entire world wherever they are but only when they're getting a blowjob. That last one was my dad. My mom was filleting my dad, and I saw it in my head. I couldn't think of a cool name. You can speak with animals, remarkable. No, just cats. I don't even like cats. No, I don't want to hear about your nap mittens. Class, I'd like for you to meet someone very special. This is one of my first students. He is the step-nephew of the one and only Wolverine. We're exactly alike in every way. Can we see your claws? I'm not here for your pleasure, bub. Whoa, he is exactly like Wolverine. He's This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Wednesday, June 8th, 2011. As always, I am Paul Fox, and joining me for this episode, which is episode number 68, from some secret location, his secret lair, his superhero base, here in the Fragrant Harbor, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, sir. How you uh, doing? I'm good. What was that clip in the beginning? I don't know if you yeah, recorded that, my laugh. That that's was good. Uh, that's a... Uh, something i stumbled across on youtube called uh, x-men first class rejects <laughs> and i will put up the link to the entire the entire clip it's it's about it's it's about four minutes long and that's just a segment from the middle that i guess was a project by you know a group of guys but pretty professionally done and you know especially when you ca compare it with some of the hollywood spoofs like um, epic movie or something which has spoofed some of the x-men movies it's actually pretty good um, so yeah, I'll put the link up in the notes and you guys can, uh, take a look at that. Uh, we are a day late here and, uh, we had some Skype issues from our regular recording time for this episode. And unfortunately we had a special guest who was supposed to join us, Mr. Casey Lau from, uh, neonpunch.com and various other geek and, uh, you know, pop culture related websites, was supposed to be here to talk with us about some of the films we're going to be talking about today. Um, but because of the snafu that we had with Skype, uh, we had to reschedule, and he, being the busy man that he is, is not available. Uh, but I would like to say a thank you to him for being on hand to originally record the episode, and we'll hopefully have him back in a couple weeks, possibly 
on the upcoming Green Lantern episode. Damn um, you, Skype! Skype! Um, but the, yeah, this is the the problem with being reliant on a singular technology. Unfortunately, there's nothing really else out there to compete with Skype. So when it goes down, the podcasting community trembles. Um, but that's neither here nor there. We are here to talk about movies. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. And today we're going to be talking about what films, Mr. Ma? Ah, uh, we're going to talk about Virtual Recall, um, the, the China screen. And then we're going to be talking about The Hangover 2 on West Screen, as well as X-Men First Class. All right, that all sounds like some good material for this week's show. But before we get to that, let's get to some news. Ah! 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 I want to do like a Mars Attacks uh, Martian screaming there. Yeah. I'll get you, He-Man! <laughs> All right. Uh, news. So we're here to talk about a couple news stories this week. Um, up first, we want to talk about uh, some Hollywood films in China. Uh, this article coming from Film Biz uh, Asia, one of our favorite sites out there on the web, from uh, Mr. Stephen Kremen, friend uh, friend of ours. We've uh, met him to watch some local films on occasion. Um, this film about though some Hollywood films in China, Kung Fu Panda Two and the Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Uh, both films doing fairly well from the way this article's uh, laying it out in comparison with Chinese films. Uh, now, given that we're going to get the founding of a party, though, in a couple weeks, I'm wondering, did they get, did they kind of squeeze these films in early um, to try and, you know, clear a path for uh, that more, what would we call that, a propagandistic film? Um. Well, okay. Well, it is a propaganda film, but uh, this, these are these two releases are essentially day and date with with the states. Um, obviously, to prevent piracy, uh, Kung Fu Panda two, two um, a huge. The first movie was a pretty big hit in China, so it makes sense that a movie about panda in China, even though made by Hollywood, would open day and date in China. And um, I don't remember whether the Pirates franchise have been big in China, but obviously the grosses for this one show that it is. Um, these figures are about a week behind. Um, actually, by now, uh, if I remember correctly, I tweeted this earlier today. Give me a second. I will load this up. I totally forgot to do this. Um, right now, after nine days, Kung Fu Panda 2 has already made 344 million RMB, uh in the first nine days. Uh, this is amazing. Gross. This is amazing. Um, we're talking about like um, this is going to beat probably beat Founder Republic actually because Founder Republic made four hundred and twenty million RMB. So Kung Fu Panda two will likely on is on track to make about five hundred million RMB, which is um, it's pretty impressive. I would have yeah. to say. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean now at three hundred and seventy, also going to cross the four hundred million uh, RMB um, track. Um, and maybe Founder of Republic. I keep bringing up Founder of Republic, even though it's not really a mark of success anymore, because um, Aftershock and Let the Bullets Fly flew past that mark. But I just like to bring it up because it's almost time for the party movie. Yeah, just um, a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people might, might say that Kung Fu Panda 2 and Pirates of the Caribbean are doing especially well because of 3D grosses. But thankfully for this entgroup.cn website, they have um, you can calculate how many shows... Um, or how many emissions uh, are there per show? So if you look at Kung Fu Panda 2, even in the second um, second week, 
uh, second weekend, through the second weekend, it still it still made more than 50, 50 emissions per show, which is pretty impressive, um, considering that most chart toppers maybe get 30 or 40. Um, so it's not just the 3D grosses. Um, it is a very successful film. And if you remember, Paul, when we, this past weekend, we were in Shenzhen. Um, both of us were in the same show for the IMAX showing of Kung Fu Panda 2. And it was an 11.50 show on a holiday Monday. And it was, I think it was two-thirds full, right, Paul? Yeah, I think it was a bit more than that, actually. Um, it, was, it was a pretty full house. Yeah, it was a pretty full house, and people reacted to it very positively. So I think this this will have legs. Uh, even and we though, were watching the um, English version subtitled in Chinese, um, which yeah. is e- even more telling, I would think. So you got to imagine that the Chinese dubbed ones are full houses. Yeah, I think when I was at box office, all the uh, two 3D 3D regular versions were were pretty full. Yeah. So I think this movie's gonna have legs, even with the the party movie. Um, I think the party movie is going to take up uh, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of screens when it comes out, um, but not all kids. I'm sure after it's almost like a chore, you know. The parents make you or your school makes you sit through the beginning of the Great Revival, which is what the founder of party is called now. Make you sit through that for school, and then afterwards, hey, we'll go to Kung Fu Panda too. Yeah. Um, so we, we were um, uh, maybe there'll be that kind of business. And usually, I don't root for Hollywood movies in China, but just to beat the party movie, I say why not? Yeah. Um, well, l- let me talk a little bit about Kung Fu Panda 2. We'll actually talk about that film in our show next week, mm-hmm. but, uh, because it's not playing in Hong Kong. So my first question is, if Hong Kong is now part of China, why don't we have it here? Um, it's, it's, I think it's for the school summer vacation. They figure kids aren't going to either download, I mean, little, I mean, the, the target audience is kids. And kids haven't figured out BitTorn yet. Uh, kids are like 10 years old. And they want to schedule it around summer vacation. Summer vacation starts, I think, in school starts, um, if I remember correctly, from my childhood years, pretty late. I think mid-June uh, summer starts here. And I think mid-June you have, you have other movies lined up. Um, you have Transform movie coming out at the end of June. Um, actually, then, then if it's middle of July, they're going to have to battle Harry Potter, mm. which I think it's a tougher tougher thing to beat than school <laughs> i think harry potter mm. but uh you know I, I i kind of understand why they push it late so they didn't have time to promote it especially um for the summer vacation with kids and they figured playing it across the river in shenzhen isn't going to mean much loss especially with the target audience mm. and let's see the other question i had was obviously it's brought back the entire cast to do the voice work of the original characters including jackie chan who still gets a final and credit um mm. and he's got such a small part i think and he has yeah more dialogue than the first he does time. but yeah. his overall role is really small I, I this is probably something we should get into next week when yeah we talk more about the film but why does he rate an and credit you know why does he rate that special that special sort of uh i don't know moniker um when he's got such a small part it's pro- yeah, well, and and kind of indicates that he has a small part, but then he he's special enough, or they part paid him enough yeah. that he gets one of those and credits. Because when you have an and credit, it's like a special guest star, yeah. you know. And, and given like the a, fact that he's in it, you would think that it would have been a day and day opening here in Hong Kong. But, oh, <laughs> Jackie Chan in Hong Kong? Nah, nah not nah, anymore, not, I guess. Not anymore. I mean, Karate Kid made like a million Hong Kong only here. Hmm. Yeah, it, it flopped. Yeah, his movies flop now. Yeah. Not even Little Big Soldier made a million dollars. Yeah, that's too bad. It was a good movie. 
Well, we'll talk more about Kung Fu Panda uh, next time, though. Uh, that, that'll be on the plate for next yeah. week. We're going to talk about our, our Shenzhen movie going. Is it, was that your first time going to a movie in Shenzhen, Paul? Yes. No, no. Actually, I saw uh, a long time ago, not at that cinema, at some other cinema. It was a dive in comparison. Mm -hmm. um, but this was a long time ago. I saw the uh, Johnny English ah, movie yeah. there. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is the second time I've watched a movie. But I, the theater was great. And um, we had a we had a really good time. Um, went to Little Sheep for lunch. Did some shopping. I found a Dairy Queen. I found yeah, a Dairy Queen in Shenzhen. And like, okay, yes. when are we going back? <laughs> yes, I love that mall. Yeah, yeah. Shenzhen has a Dairy Queen. Yeah, um, I, I was as excited as you were when I saw so, it. So yeah. yeah, it's uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. Um, okay, going across the hopping the border to watch movies. Um, all right. Our, our, what's our other bit of news? A little bit of thing, a little thing about Johnny Toe. Uh, it's finished production on uh, another film. Yeah. Um, it's a, well, I guess because it's a commercial film. Johnny Toe's and White Coffee's latest film, um, Romance in Thin Air, which was, I think, shooting in uh, Shangri La um, in Yunnan, uh, is finally finished. Um, I think they were just talking about starting production back in Film Mart, which was uh, late March. So now um, they finished, uh, and I think it's going to be set for um, a late, late 2011 release. Um, White Coffee has said, White Coffee, who wrote the script and also co-directed this film, said that um, he meant to kind of match it with um, Don't Go Breaking My Heart in terms of content, because Don't Go Breaking My Heart is a comedy, it's a straight romantic comedy for mainland, and Romance in Thin Air, which uh, is going to be uh, more of a tearjerker that's made for a mainline audience. So it's going to be interesting to to compare the two films uh, in that sense. Um, it's kind of the Johnny Toe White Coffee goes to China doubleheader, I think. Well, and I read the read the plot. You know, I didn't think of Don't Go Breaking My Heart so much. I thought more of Love for All Seasons. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not. It's not similar thematically or anything. It just seems like because these two movies are they kind of doing a back-to-back -back productions uh, of movies made for the mainland. So um, it's not really thematically, but more like talking about the target audience, what the target audience is going to be. Um, in that, I think in that sense, it's going to be interesting how they how they made these two different romance uh, for the for the mainland audience and how they fit certain things for the mainland audience. Um, and plus, White Cafe is not really big. Uh, tearjerker director or writer. I mean, White Coffee is the brains of the operation, which is why I keep bringing up his name. But White Coffee is not really a big tearjerker writer, is he? Uh, if you remember correctly, not 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 the White Coffee that movies that at least I have on my shelf here. Yeah, um, White Coffee is you know like dark comedy and and you know not sometimes a little bit more lethal and things like that. But it's not really known for his tearjerkers. Yeah. So I think that will also be uh, interesting. So if you're interested, you can go to the Film Biz Asia site. I'll just read a little bit um, from their site, this one by Patrick Freider. Uh, describing the film, this is the film stars Hong Kong actor Louis Ku, who escapes the rural, to the rural province after being abandoned at the altar by his girlfriend, played by uh, Gao Yunyun. There, he falls for a local hotel hotel owner played by Sammy Chang. So you can see all kinds of connections here. Um, the whole idea of being abandoned at the altar was kind of the th part of the theme in uh, Love for All Seasons. You, you know, you've got Louis Ku here, Sammy Chang were both in that. But also, Louis Ku falling for a hotel owner, wasn't that the part of the plot of um, Road Less Traveled? Uh, yeah, well, restaurant owner, but... 
Um, I don't think there's any running over someone's husband guilt involved here, yeah. even though it is a tearjerker. So, I, hey, I may be surprised. Who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if there's a terminal illness in there somewhere, too. But he's, but he's a, again, he's a, it, it says Hong Kong actor Louis Ku who escapes to the rural province. I'm wondering, is he escaping from Hong Kong? So is this another case of a Hong Kong person escaping to the mainland to find solace in, you know, a, a mainland character, even though it's Sammy Cheng? You know, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I think that could happen. It is, it is targeted towards a uh, mainland China market. So We'll see. Um, I mean, it makes me wonder, is she going to be, are they going to be doing, if she's supposed to be a local hotel owner, is she going to be doing her dialogue in the local dialect? Oh, dear. I hope not. I mean, remember what happened with Mandarin in uh, Everlasting Regret. That became her everlasting regret. Yeah. So, so, um, I'm hoping she sticks to Cantonese here. Mm. All right. Um, No other big news stories this week, but it has been a big week for news in general especially if you follow tech. Um, earlier this week, we had the Worldwide Developer Conference from Apple, and they released a, a bunch of announcements about new products coming. Uh, one of them, probably the most interesting of the new products they talked about was the changes to the new uh, iOS structures coming, or the iOS platform software coming for your devices like your iPad as, and your iPhones or your iPod touches, and their move into cloud content. Um, the, the thing that has me kind of excited, and they didn't go this far yet, is the way they're going to be handling cloud content initially for photos and music. And this is all going to be free. So if you have photos, um, photos that you've taken on your devices are going to be uploaded to the cloud, and you can have settings to automatically distribute them to your other devices. Um, so you'll be able to access them equally. You won't have to do um, wired syncing anymore. Um, everything's going to be done wirelessly. So that's kind of kind of neat, kind of interesting. Also, kind of opens up some questions about security issues and things like that. But we'll have to wait and see how that goes. With music, they're going to be doing the same thing. The more interesting part that they got to was this thing called I think it's called Music Match, um, where basically not only will you have an, a cloud library of your music, um, all your purchases basically are supposed to be in this cloud initially. It looks like both apps and music that you do for from the iTunes store. But with the Music Match service, which is going to be $25 a year basically, you will be able to take non-iTunes bought music. So if you've got a CD, um, you know, the, the, the latest uh, Guns N' Roses CD, and you've ripped that and put that on your computer and you've put that music onto your iPod Touch or your iPhone or your iPad, you can then, if you subscribe to this service, have them scan that and match that with the iTunes title and they will give you access to that on your other devices. Um, So basically, $25 a year for all kinds of DRM-free access to music. Um, A lot of people are saying, how could they possibly have gotten the music companies to agree to this? Because basically there's nothing to prevent you from giving all of your CDs to your friend and letting them, um, you know, fill their content the same way. Um, But basically, if you're willing to pay that $25 service charge per year, um, you're good to go. 
So that doesn't really relate to us here with regard to films, but this is what I'm thinking is the next coming thing. Maybe within the next year, maybe within the next two years is at some point they're going to be making the transition to movies. They haven't done it yet. So at least for now, if you buy movies on iTunes, as far as I know, they didn't make any announcement regarding this. It's not going to go to the cloud. I'm, I'm guessing it's going to take them some time to beef up their server farms and whatnot. But I would say that within the next year, maybe two, um, this will be the next thing, that you'll now be able to have digital libraries of films, and possibly they may have a similar service to Music Match, something like Movie Match, where if you can rip a DVD title of a film, you know, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, for example, and you rip that and you put that in your physical library, you do the, the scanning service, and then you can have access to that via the cloud on any of your other devices. Um, so that has me kind of excited. I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Kevin? Well, here's the thing. Um, I'm not sure how the cellular um, or the, the mobile carriers are going to feel about this because um, I my carrier right now in Hong Kong doesn't let me download anything that's bigger than 20 megabytes because of bandwidth issues and, and, and yeah, to not take up the bandwidth. Um, even well, as Hong I understand Kong, it, this is all going to be Wi-Fi initially. Oh, right, um, right. Yeah. But, but it'll be like, so if you've got, if you've got a song um, on your phone, or, or, or let's say you've got, a, you've got a Mac or you've got a PC and you've got a song on your iTunes that you ripped from a CD, um, and then you belong to this service, you scan the song, so then it says in the iCloud, oh, okay, we'll give you access to this song. So then you can take your iPad and download that song to your iPad from the cloud. Um, but that would be done over Wi-Fi. But then you would be taking that with you uh, wherever you go. So mm -hmm. it gives you it gives you the ability to download it. Now I don't know. Maybe they'll let you do it via three G. But that's going to be a lot of network traffic. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, my assumption was it was Wi-Fi only to start. I think we're going to be very far away from seeing three uh, G. Right now, I'm using uh, Dropbox, um, yep. an app called Boxy Tunes, where I can throw in songs on my uh, Dropbox, and then I can access it anywhere through Boxy Tunes and then download it on my iPhone. Um, and so we already have something like this uh, working. And personally, because Wi-Fi isn't really prevailing enough in Hong Kong, certain places, including the office I work at, um, where my 3G, I barely get a 3G um, uh, reception, that I'm not sure how, how really practical this is going to be, uh, especially people who have Dropbox already or uses BoxyTune, things like that, who already uses such a service. Where does this new iCloud really practical to them? Um, well, for me, I mean, the, this has been the move I've been waiting for for a long time. One of my one of the things I don't really like about iTunes is has been the idea that if I bought something on iTunes and my computer crashed, my hard drive crashed, iTunes. I guess they kept the record of it, but I would have to rebuy it in many cases. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. now with the i with the, with the way the iCloud is gonna gonna work, um, e even now I can go I can go online and I can look at all of my purchases, mm. and I can just once it knows I've bought something, regardless of whether my iPad drive crashes or my Mac crashes and I have to get a new Mac. Um, it will be just a press of a button and I can download everything to that new device. Mm. And I think they said that you would have a limit of 10 devices 
which is uh, previously the limit for this kind of connection has been five, and I think they've upped it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 10 devices is a, is a pretty good number for a family. Um, you know, if you figure, you're, you know, you've got a wife and, and ki- kids and you're all on the same account. So, I don't know, I'm pretty excited. I'm just thinking that they're going to have to go t- with visual content at some point, but I'm guessing that's going to be a few years down the road. Mm-hmm. Let's see, also this week, what came out? Uh, E3. Um, so if you're into video games, there's the E3 conference going on right now with big announcements from Microsoft, uh, uh, Sony, the Sony Network, and uh, also Nintendo. And I've been following along uh Somewhat interested in some of the new stuff coming out, especially the new console from Nintendo. Uh, a lot of games, a lot of really unrelated stuff for what we want to talk about today. But there were a couple of announcements with the Xbox. The Xbox is getting YouTube, um, which I guess is a pretty big deal. And they're also going to—they're also talking about new interface, new ways to interface with existing media like Hulu and um, Netflix and some of their rental or their movie rental services with the Kinect, um, you know, using the Kinect basically as like a selection interface or something. So they're really pushing the Kinect. Um, my big question is, when are they going to start doing some of this stuff internationally? Because right now, nada. I mean, I've got I've got the Xbox, I've got Xbox Live, uh, I've got the gold membership, you know, where I pay, you know, I, don't, I don't know what it, what it is, um, it comes out to like three or four bucks a month, but I still pay and I can't use half of the services because it's all blocked internationally. Um, I've constantly checked on Netflix and some of the other stuff and they don't seem to be having any of that stuff on the front burner, if at all, with regard to opening things up a little bit more. So they're kind of behind the ball. Um, looks like, you know, Apple's kind of ahead of them with regard to serving international clientele, at least for the near yeah. future. The iTunes store started in Japan, and I think Apple is just waiting to see how that market works up. Because Apple, I mean, Japan is the second biggest market in the world for films, so it makes sense for them to start an iTunes store there second. Um, or I think UK has an iTunes store. But anyway, Asia-wise, I guess it makes sense that Japan has the first iTunes store. So I hope the Japan iTunes store does really well, and then that will mean they're interested in expanding elsewhere to smaller places in Asia, like like um, Hong Kong. Uh, China's already pretty big on online streaming, legal online streaming services. Um, so we'll see if Hong Kong ever gets to follow that trend. It is time to talk about our East Screen film for this week, and that is the movie called Virtual Recall which um, you might not recall because it's a somewhat of an old film. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Kevin, why don't you uh, take us through the plot of uh, Virtual Recall and tell us some of your thoughts on it. Haha, <laughs> plot. Okay, Virtual Recall is a sci-fi film, um, a co-production, a China, Chinese-Hong Kong co-production um, from these relatively unknown filmmakers. It's distributed by My Way here, a very small distributor that does some local films. Director is Larry Chen, and it stars uh, Stephen Fong, um, Sherry Ying, and uh, Tang Yifei, who you may recognize as the cat girl in future X-Cops. Um, the film was made in uh, in the comment section, uh, actually, for Last Entry, Tina now pointed out that film was shot um, earlier, and it's true, because uh, our friend, um, Tim Youngs, uh, found out that the film was actually shot in, I think, 2007, 
Was that Paul? Yeah, and, yeah, and they, they, they make a couple references to the year in the film, like 2007, 2008, and there's a flashback to a few years before, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, the whole specific thing with, with, with date. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the film is based on a somewhat popular novelist, uh, local Hong Kong novelist's work, um, so which um, it may attract some local viewers. Um, the 34-seat theater we were in, the China Cam, was actually... I think two-thirds full, which makes it, wow, 20 people. Um, the film is about um, a psychiatrist played by Tang Yifei uh, who is treating a very mysterious patient played by Sherry Ying. Um, essentially, um, they think that Sherry Ying character has uh, some kind of schizophrenia where she has um, she pretends herself to be multiple people. Um, anyway, uh, the Tang Yifei, the psychiatrist character, has problems at home. Uh, her marriage uh, with... A very rich cop played by Simon Fung is on the rocks, um, and uh, she's starting to see things, uh, certain things uh, that might make her go crazy. And soon, I think uh, she uncovers um, some kind of scientific theory where um, she can go into parallel universe, um, into kind of like alternate lives where... Um, if certain turning points in her life went different ways, then, then she could see what that alternate life is like. So through that, she tries to save her, her marriage with her husband. Uh, and we, we, we slowly discovered um, what went wrong in the marriage and what she tries to do to correct it. Um, that's the basic part, part of the plot. Um, what it is really is an hour and 40 minutes of unintentional hilarity. It <laughs> is really just... It just you know, you keep the the opening of the of the film starts with this um, footage that they actually bought from I think the International Nuclear uh, Commission or something, which is something that they sold um, on the poster. Uh, something about how they try to recreate the Big Bang Theory underground, which has nothing to do with the film, I think. Um, yeah, it's and like then, stock footage of the Hadron Collider, basically. Yes, yes, yeah. which they bought from the International Nuclear Commission, and then there were bubbles, bubble. People in bubble. It was like a, I. It was like the Wii. I was like, hey, where's my Wii remote? Let's go move them. Wii remote. It's like the Wii we play, yeah. Um, and then you and I thought because I saw that that opening section on the internet and I thought, wow, this movie's gonna be terrible. But how could it get worse than this? And then it does. Larry Cherno, the director, keeps one upping himself with misguided, silly direction, just all kinds of weird um, sequences. Um, Weird action, weird acting. Um, it's all, it's just a very weird movie. Like, you wonder how could someone direct something so unintentionally hilarious and then someone does it. Um, he does mean well. I think um, he tries to convey certain ideas. He tries for some kind of visual cleverness or he's trying to be inventive, but it's all just so utterly incompetent. Um, it seems like everyone who works on a film knows the science so well that. They expect everyone to absorb all these, you know, nuclear science and, and psychiatry and things like that through really long-winded monologues. And I, I don't know what I don't know how you were, Paul, because I know you're a sci-fi geek, so I'm not sure how you took the film. I'm not, but um, where the portions when they just started explaining things about um, all these theories, I just kind of I just kind of lost me, went blank. I, I'm, I'm talking to the guy next to me who is actually Sean Tierney, a friend of the friend of ours in a movie group. And I just said, "Do you understand?" any of this because I just totally blanked out and I don't understand anything um, and the only way and the only thing that really got through is this whole parallel universe idea and everything else is kind of is kind of blocked out um, 
partly because every time they explain something, they'll pull a book like like they were at an introductory class for it in college, and that's like that was their textbook, and they read that book and they figured, hey, that would be neat in the movie, and that's what they put in. Um, another problem with the film is that um, it's based on a novel, and um, the dialogue, at least in Cantonese, read like novel dialogue. Um, again, a lot of long-winded monologues and 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 a lot of um weird you know romantic romantic you know lines things like that and and it really doesn't really doesn't translate to movies well it doesn't really translate to real people dialogue um and it sounds like it was taken verbatim um so even the writing is is very strange on this film um all the actors um are very unfortunate for having taken this film um tang yifei pretty much carries the entire movie on her shoulders but she really overdoes it. Um, she has a lot of big reaction shots, and she gets to freak out a lot. But she, I think she really, she was really overdoing it. Uh, Steven Fung is essentially a supporting character, even though he's in front of the poster. Um, Sherry Ying, um, you know, she, has, she gets to do some action, and she, she gets to do certain things, and and it seems like she has fun doing the action. But it's again a really unfortunate part, uh, role they have to take because the movie is so crappy. But I hope. Uh, that they got paid, so that would be you know a good thing. Um, the romance, uh, the stuff about Tang Yifei's character and her husband uh, Simon Fong, it's all really silly. The the flashback to the romance looked like um, okay. Have you seen King of Comedy, Paul? Yes. <clears throat> Do you remember um, the the part where they 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 parody? Um, I think where Steven, where Steven Chow is at a soda machine and yeah, he it's, it's a, a parody of a local yeah. commercial. Of yeah, that time. it was like a parody of a local lemon tea commercial. Yeah. Uh, where where you have like young love and it's like it's playing this this bubblegum pop song while the guy is all having a crush on the girl and he's running around she's running he's running around a soda machine and there she is at the soda machine. Well, they recreate that here except it's not a parody. <laughs> and and Steven Fung is wearing a bike helmet that's about three sizes too small. And that's <laughs> that's how that's pretty much represent the romance. That just shows, shows how big his head actually is. Well, yeah, that or or that they especially afford, after making like, jump right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I mean it kind of shows that they can't afford a bigger helmet. I guess, mm-hmm. um, and the whole thing where where he's he's he was running across the street to catch her, and instead of you know uh, tackling her to to make her avoid a truck, almost like he ran across the street and jump kicked her. That's that's how it. <laughs> that's pretty much the because I've seen a lot of Korean movies where people jump kick, so that's what it looked like to me. Um, and that's that pretty much represents how silly the whole romance is. Um, uh, there's a yeah that's pretty much about all I could say about the movie because that's how I remember I wish I remember more because it was so incompetently made and it's one of those you really have fun with it if you're in under certain conditions and under those conditions I would say TV it uh, I can't really say some of those conditions because they might be illegal activities but um, part of it is you have a big group of friends and you might have some alcohol and it really is a hilarious hilarious movie um and even that, I won't say TV it because I'm sure your fellow patrons of the theater would not appreciate the fun that you're having, um, which is shame on them because they're watching a crappy movie and you're watching a crappy movie high and or drunk. Uh, but seriously, there's if you're not under those conditions, there's really nothing of quality we're finding here. Um, it is a movie so bad, it is not even worth recalling. And there's my pun. Paul, take it. <laughs> I don't know if I can pick up after that pun. <laughs> I can't recall what I was going to say. Um, no, I, I really wanted to like this movie um, because it was trying to be sort of this independent, low-budget science fiction. Um, 
you know, I, I get that a lot of times when people shoot for science fiction, they don't have the budget they need to do effects and to do things they need to work with. And I look at some of the, you know, cheesy science fiction that came out of like the UK and the US in the 80s and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, I, I still get a kick out of some of that stuff. Um, I really wanted to like this movie, but this movie didn't know what it wanted to be. It claims it's a science fiction. It claims it's a romance movie. It claims it's a drama. It fails at really being any of those completely. Um, but yeah, like you said, it is based on a book. And I guess, if it, you know, maybe in book form, this plays out fairly well. Um, but the way they translated to the, to the screen, it did not. Most of the visual effects look like they were done on a Windows 95 computer. Um, the bubbles that you mentioned, you know, the the, the transition between worlds, it, it's all like old screensaver type of effects. Just really, really um, not very well done. But getting beyond that, getting to the concept of what's supposed to be happening, the, the you know, this, this character, this doctor played by Tang Yifei, she gains the ability through a form of kind of meditation, basically, uh, to transfer her consciousness or transfer herself to an alternate universe, supposedly. And so that's when the na scientific name dropping begins and things like wormholes and, you know, I I Einstein Rosen and, and Stephen Hawking and the Hadron Collider. And they're just doing name dropping. It's like, you know, when you, when you you have a friend who has to constantly tell you the famous people he knows, completely out of context of any conversation that's going on whatsoever, just so that you know that he knows somebody famous, he or she knows somebody famous. Well, this is the same thing. Just so that you know this is supposed to be a science fiction genre film, they keep dropping the these ideas. And none of them really make... The, uh... Before record, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Before recording, I was watching um, a clip of Annie Hall, and you know it's uh, the part where the guy is, is talking about Marshall McLuhan, and then Woody yeah. Allen pulls out pulls Marshall, Marshall McLuhan. McLuhan out. Yeah, I yeah. showed that clip to my students. Yeah, um, that, that, yeah that's it's, exactly. It's, it's what, yeah. yeah, it's exactly that same kind of thing. Um, they're dropping all kinds of, of science here, but it's like they've just read the Wikipedia entry and they don't really go much deeper into it. You know, you talked about. They bring out books, and it's like a, a college level one class. It's more like using the cliff notes of that college class. Um, and so there is a, a bit of a twist at the ending, and I won't spoil that what it is, but it's kind of a big letdown. And that goes entirely against the entire setup of everything that they spend time explaining to you. And even that's still not clear. Um, but overall, I thought Tang Yifei was actually okay. Um, being that the last thing I saw her in, I think, was her cat girl role in Future X Cops, um, I think she did, did she, she, she wasn't bad with what she had to do. Um, also, she gets half naked. You know, she, so, she shows half a breast, which was a surprise. So if you're a big fan and you're looking to see um, a little bit of skin, there it is. You also get to see a body double of Sheree Ying um, show her butt. Uh, so there's that. But... Not much else other than that. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I got to say flee it. Um, <laughs> unless you can get it for free somehow and you don't care about the next two hours of your life. I know it's only like an hour and 40 minutes, but the next 20 minutes after watching it, you're going to be going, what? 
So you might as well kill that time as well. So the next two hours of your life, if you don't mind throwing that away, and you can somehow get a hold of this for free, um, or maybe very, 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 very cheaply. Um, and like you said, you know, watch it with some friends. Take a drink every time they mention a scientific theory, and you will find it somewhat enjoyable. All right. Oh, and there's a subtitle of the week. I need to play... Where is it? Here. What? 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 Huh? This week in subtitles. Yeah, so we have a subtitle this week from the film Virtual Recall, and that is from Stephen Fung, where he says, if a cop is rich, he won't take bribes. <laughs> because he's a cop and he's rich. And um, he's not in China. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, sound advice. All cops should be rich, because if they're rich, they won't take bribes. Hey, it's like uh, it's like Playboy, Playboy cops. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's take a short break, and we'll be back for West Screen. I can't sing Daft Punk. Okay. I don't think I don't think Daft Punk can sing Daft Punk without uh, <laughs> using their using their uh, their uh, synth auto tune or whatever it is they're using. All right, time for some West Screen. What are we, we going to talk about first? The Hangover Two. Um, so this is the sequel coming from director Todd Phillips, director of the first Hangover, brings back the main cast from that film, including. Uh, Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, Zach Galifianakis, um, and, and Ken Jeong, as well as um, introducing a couple new characters, um, such as uh, Jamie Chung as Lauren, who is the new fiancé of uh, Ed Helms' character, Stu. Um, this time, the crew is reunited as Stu is about to get married in Thailand, and uh, the gang gets together to throw a bachelor party for him, uh, but since he's still has the memories of the events in Las Vegas fresh in his mind, he decides he kind of wants to just keep things on the down low. But as things have it, you know, uh, we, they don't happen that way. And thus we have a movie. Um, things get a little bit crazy and the guys again wake up not remembering what has happened. And they have lost um, Stu's new 
young younger brother-in-law, uh, and they have to figure out what has happened to him. And this sort of sets the stage, um, much as the stage was set in the original Hangover. And that is kind of the problem with this film. It's the same plot, it's just in a different place. It goes for a lot more, and, but in a sense it achieves less, at least in terms of the fun that I had with the original. Now I have to admit, I was a late comer to the original. I'd heard a lot about it, a lot of people raving about it for a long time. I didn't actually see the original until much, much later on video. But then when I did see it, I loved it. Um, I loved the way that it used the narrative, you know, sort of starting in the middle of the story, going back and then going through beyond where they where, where the narrative started at. Um, I really liked that structure. I liked the way they went, had to uncover the mystery of what had happened to them. Um, and of course, you know, I think everybody really likes the character of Alan, played by Zach Galifianakis. Um, he was sort of unique and fresh in the first one. It's more of the same here. And they really, again, are trying to outdo themselves, which is always a bad thing in a sequel. Um, part of the problem is, at least from my perspective, is I thought Bangkok, the way it was portrayed here, came off looking really bad. Some some very negative portrayals of Bangkok, at least in comparison with Vegas. I don't know. It, it's not so much of what was happening per se, but... You know, it, it's a, a lot of the same vice that we saw in in the first one is here, but somehow in Vegas it didn't look quite as bad. I don't. I I'm trying to. I can't put my finger on what it was. Whether it was the cinematography or the lighting, or the grunge depicted in Bangkok, or what exactly it was. Because I mean, it was. You know, in a lot of ways, it was the same things. It was you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, and yet at the same time, it Bangkok just came off looking really bad to me. Um, but it, this is a fun movie, all right? I have to admit, it was fun. I didn't care for it as much as the first one, but in part it was because it was kind of like a redo. Um, but I, you know, if you liked the first one, I think you'll at least enjoy seeing these characters again going through the motions. Um, and that that's kind of how it occurred uh, to me, that they were just kind of going through the motions. I, I would have liked them to have spent some more time on the script, to have maybe played a little bit more with, you know, some of the Asian-ness of it, rather than go for the, some of the stereotype, stereotypical jokes that I think they went for. Um, but let's see, other than that, uh, Jamie Chung is here, easy on the eyes, really liked her in Sucker Punch, and a lot better, she's doing a lot better now than she was in Dragon Ball, so that's a plus. Um, potential sequel? Well, I don't know. Everybody's married now, except for Alan. Uh, I don't know if that's a marryable character, but, uh, I guess if this film does well, I, I think Bradley Cooper was on an interview, and they were asking him, you know, uh, if this film does well, will there be, a, you know, a Hangover 3? You know, if the money's there, nothing's impossible. Um, I was kind of surprised that this wasn't a Category 3 in Hong Kong. You know, especially given that we just got done talking a few weeks ago about a Category 3 movie in 3D in Hong Kong, and one of the big criticisms of that movie was that it was not able to show male genitalia. Um, this movie does not seem to have that problem, but it's <laughs> not a Category 3. So I was kind of surprised by that. Um, there was also, there's also a bit of an issue going around, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'm not a professional film critic, 
but I, I think I'm kind of knowledgeable as, as a consumer of films. I pay attention to professional critics. I read Ebert um, quite often after I've seen a movie. I like to hear his thoughts on it. Um, I used to love Gene Siskel's uh, reviews when he was around, and I read quite a few other sites as well. I look at what Rotten Tomatoes usually has to say about a movie, um, but typically always after I see it. I, I like to see a film first and then see what everybody else says about it. Um, but Ebert had Ebert, Ebert was very critical of this film in particular because of one of the still shots in the credit sequence. And if you'll remember, that was one of the more famous aspects of the original film, and they even added supposedly deleted shots that weren't shown in, in the film version on the DVD. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're going to do the same thing here. But there was one shot in particular um, that is um, uh, based on a very famous, one of the two very famous photos of um, Vietnam with uh, the, the general, I don't remember his name, but the general executing a, a Viet Cong prisoner of war in the street. And uh, Ebert was very, very critical, and I kind of understand his point. Um, I, 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 and I, I think I kind of agree with it. Uh, I think it was a little bit beyond, you know, over the line. I mean, that's still, th th this isn't a case of, you know, an image from World War I where most of the generation that, that was involved in that is no longer with us. Um, that is, you know, Vietnam is still a war, war which, which many people have wounds and, um, you know, memories, vivid memories of. And so for the guys to make this kind of a decision, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to say censorship. I, 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 always, I always hate to go, be on the side of censorship, but at the same time, I really think they kind of crossed the line here. I don't know. What, what do you think, Kevin? Do you know the, the image in particular I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> I know which one you're talking about because I saw that. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's it's my thoughts is that that they they the filmmakers is a little dumb because they're moving making a movie about Thailand and they make a Vietnam War joke. You know, it just kind of goes the whole thing about where Americans think all Asians look the same, mm. that kind of thing. Uh, uh, on that level, it's 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 not okay. But you, it just seems like you know this movie offense or these two both movies are offensive on so many levels to different people that <laughs> that I is true uh, yeah <laughs> i just wondering what are okay eber found something that offended him personally and did that did that does that make the movie especially offensive no i mean i'm sure there are people who are offended at other things at other parts of the movie um if i'm a pick if i if i if i a pick rights activist you know i wouldn't be happy about the pick getting side swiped by a car uh if i'm a if you're a an anti-animal smoking activist you're yeah, gonna hate this yeah i'm gonna hate this <laughs> or if i'm if i'm um if i'm a, 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 a i'm a mike tyson fan i wouldn't like the fact that Stu got a got a mike tyson ta mike tyson tattoo um you know there's all, all kinds of things to be offended you don't get to pick and choose what's okay and what's not in a movie that's really of trying to offend you on so many different levels um i to me you know it's almost like you know all, all bets are off you know take no prisoners that kind of thing you know if you're going to be offended be offended by the entire movie don't be offended by just one thing that that got to you um, uh, personally, mm -hmm. and this is why I think, I mean, you know, as Asian, you know, I, I think the portrayal of Bangkok, of course, is like, you know, typical the way Americans look at, you know, Asian cities, especially a place like, a rotation like Bangkok. Um, but 
you know, I just take it as such, and you know, and just kind of let take go along the ride. You know, like I like I said, I know that it was going to be all bets are going to be off, and that they're going to try and offend everyone and everything. And <laughs> and in that case, you know, it's okay to laugh. You know, I think yeah. right if up there with the, the yeah. human centipede too, right? <laughs> yeah. That that is just that well that's just wrong. Um, <laughs> anyway, the picture itself isn't really that funny anyway. Actually, in terms of the entire gag, you know, it's like why did why did they even do that photo? It's just so weird and out of place with the rest of the the photo sequence. Um, even though the photo sequence is still the funniest part of the movie, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's just kind of out of place that they went there, you know, um, with with that thing. Um, yeah, anyway. Your your rating, Paul, with the film? Yeah, I I would say uh well, I it's definitely a see it if you liked the first one, you know, worth a matinee, maybe not worth a a full-on evening show. Um if you didn't like the first film, obviously you're not going to see it. If you haven't seen the first film, you could give it a try. You don't really necessarily need to see it, although I still think the first one's better. So if you've only got time to watch one, I'd say Go for the first one with get a DVD and go for the first one. Um, but, but what did you think about you know the story in the film overall? Well, okay, it's a repeated story. Like I said, you know, like you said, it, it is a repeated. The story is repeated, and a lot of gags are repeated. Like especially uh, Stu song um, stood out for me. That was kind of the unnecessary uh, repeat. Um, but there actually there is a little bit of progression. I think his big joke is that. How they first in the film when they first get in trouble the first or in the first act of the film, everything they learn from the first film doesn't matter here. They try to learn from it, but none of it applies in this situation. You know, like they were destined to get into that situation anyway. You know, like uh, um, uh, when they kept trying to get away, because there was a one source of their their troubles in the first movie, and in the second movie they kept trying to to keep that away from happening, and it still happens. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 where when when they lose uh um um the son oh the brother of the bride the first place they look <laughs> that was also funny even though yeah. it didn't apply yeah. so I like that kind of bit of progression that that was kind of clever uh by the way the uh the younger brother is played by Ang Lee's son oh he was okay. in, yeah he was Ang Lee's son and he was actually um in the BMW short film as the as the child monk um in in the Ang Lee Ang Lee installment of the hmm. BMW shorts anyway. The film is still fun. I think um, it could easily be the first film without the references to it being a sequel. I think it could have been just like the first film. Um, but then the, the problem is that the formula is so established that the formula needs to be the same. You know, it needs to be about these guys getting drunk and they can't, they don't know, they have to retrace their step the next morning. That pretty much is the formula that made it a success. So I wouldn't be able to think of how to really make it fresh. Um, I do miss Heather Graham. I thought Heather Graham was cool in the first movie. Plus, she showed she showed her she did nudity, so I thought that was nice. So I kind of missed her. I like Heather Graham. So um, I thought it'd be funny if they did like a did like a sequel where they go to a place that's not known for partying, but you know, like like say some kind of like Deliverance meets Hangover. I think that would be <laughs> that'll be the third one. Cool. Yeah, I think that would be cool. <laughs> you know, go to a place where it's not known to be a party town and discover like the dark underbelly, and it's kind of fun. Um, uh, some really nasty stuff here. Um, 
you know, like we were saying about the pig and, you know, uh, monkeys and animals and the humor. There's some kind of raunch, really raunchy stuff. Food front of the Actually, you were talking about how this film should have been category free. I was checking Teller's website and actually initially it was category free. And I think they made a cut or two to make it a 2B. So I think they just got right to the edge of 2B here. And the fact that the pe- uh, um, you have penises show in the film... Uh, but not in 3D seconds then, because 3D seconds then, I'm sure the penis, one, is erect, and two, it is used in a... Used. <laughs> it is shown in a in a, in a sexual manner. Um, here is not, I guess. You could argue that it wasn't. And they're definitely not erect. Um, so <laughs> I don't know what I'm ruling here. And, and, and I think that's what kind of got it down to 2B, even though they did have to make a cut. I'm not sure what cut it is because we saw, we both saw the Hong Kong 2B version. Um, but, you know, I still had fun. I thought even the penis stuff was kind of funny for what it was. Um, some really shocking stuff, though. Um, I honestly wouldn't mind a third installment because it's so fun. Um, but really, I mean, I think we conclude, I think we have the same conclusion here that something needs to change in the third installment. Um, they really need to stop using these repeated gags or it's not even so much as a gag is that they're using the same beat. Yeah. Um, that was, that was the problem. The biggest problem I had was that they used, they, they copied exactly the same narrative structure right. as the first one that was so unique. And here I think they could have done something different. I mean, they could have still played with the narrative somehow, but they didn't need to copy what they did in the first one. Yeah. Um, I think, again, especially the stool song, um, it's just kind of like, okay, the first film, it kind of makes sense because they're in a big suite and they had, like, the piano. But here, it's just like, it comes out of nowhere. You don't know why they're there, why he's singing all of a sudden. Yeah, it's But really I, to be honest, I liked the song in this one better than the first I liked the one. Song. Because I it, like it, the it, song. it made a whole lot more sense. <laughs> I, I do like the song, though, but... It's just whether it needed to be there or not. I think yeah. that's some one thing. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Uh, the song. Um, the song. I don't remember. But anyway, um, my my rating is that if you haven't seen the first film, actually, just ignore the sequel references and see it because it will be refreshing and you really like it. And then and then you can, you can bring you can put back the pieces afterwards when you watch the first film. So it's like putting back the pieces and um, a friend, uh, I guess an internet friend of mine, Jason Gray, who I talked to on, he's a correspondent for Screen Daily at um, in Japan and he saw that he hasn't seen the first film. He saw the second film and thought it was funny and, and he said he was he, he likes to work backwards when he watches, you know, sequels. He, he, d- he usually doesn't get to watch the first film and he watches backwards. So I told him, yeah, actually it would work for this movie because you will watch it and then, and then you'll bring back the first movie and actually the first movie is even more refreshing because you start picking up these references and it kind of works with the, the whole structure of the film because you're, bringing, you're putting back the pieces. Uh, and it's kind of fun that way. But um, otherwise, you know, if you're a big fan, of course, you know, you're probably not going to... You won't be stopped. You'll probably just watch it in the theater anyway. But if you do listen to us and you trust our opinion, um, I would say TV it might lessen the, the disappointment. Um, it's still a fun movie. Um, but not sure if it's really good enough to be like a theater film. Yeah, there was a whole lot of rehash though. Was we were I was talking with some guys on Twitter, and you know when when you think like you said the beats, you know you think about the first film had an animal, this film had an animal, the first film 
somebody lost a, a piece of their body. In yeah. This film, somebody lost a piece of their body. The first film, Ken Jeong jumps out of uh, a closed space. This film, Ken Jeong jumps out of a closed space. So also naked. Yeah, there, there's just a whole lot of uh, of uh, it's ba- it's in some ways it's kind of like they just took the script and they just changed nouns. You know, it's kind of like Mad Libs or something. They just kind of uh, replay did did some replacement and said, all right, Bangkok. And we're done. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, it's fun. It, it I, it could have been more. Uh, that's just my big, my little criticism of it, I guess. Well, Todd Phillips, stay away from Asia now. <laughs> Go somewhere else. <laughs> like I said, Deliverance meets The Hangover. It will be awesome. Yeah, that'll be It'll great. Be awesome. listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit kongcast.com for more. All right. Our second West Screen film for this week, another big Hollywood summer blockbuster, as it were. Uh, X-Men First Class. Um Directed by Matthew Vaughn, starring James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, uh, and a cast of a lot, quite quite a few others, including uh, Kevin Bacon, Mister Footloose himself. Um, X Men First Class is a prequel to the X Men trilogy films that have already been released, um, and it sets the origins of uh, the School for the Gifted or the School for Mutants. Um, that you might know if you read the X-Men comic books. Uh, This is a film that is kind of interesting in its origins itself, in that this is sort of the end product of what started out as X-Men Origins Magneto. Um, So the last X-Men film we got was X-Men Origins uh, Wolverine, which is a terrible film, uh, worst of of the, by far, of the X-Men films that have been done. Um... But apparently they're making a sequel from what I hear. I don't know. But very soon after that film um, had started to go into post-production, I guess, they were already talking about doing an X-Men origin story for Magneto uh, because the character is is so popular. Um, Ian McKellen was going to reprise the role. They were going to be doing some um, CGI to make him look younger, sort of like what they did with Patrick Stewart in the end of Origins. Um, push comes to shove, the film went through some production problems and it got to the point where Ian McKellen had said he couldn't do it because he was just getting older and he had other commitments and and whatnot. So it it kind of fell apart and then, from what I understand, supposedly part of that script got pulled and, and morphed into ultimately what we have here, which is sort of an origin story. We get the origin of Magneto, uh, building out of what we've much of what we've already learned in the uh, first X, first few X Men films, and also thrown into that mix, we get the origin of um, Charles Xavier, played by James McAvoy. Um, both young men uh, during the '60s, um, so we get a little bit of their background, uh, their mutant powers. Both kind of taken down two very different paths um, to showing how, who, how they develop and who they become. 
their paths ultimately cross, and um, Charles Xavier has this dream to take these new emerging gifted people, who some people call as mutants, who um, uh, Magneto, or Michael Fassbender's character, um, Eric, <clears throat> sees as sort of the next stage of humanity. Um, and so this sort of sets the stage for uh, what we know as the, the modern X-Men. Um, there are quite a few new characters here, and this obviously doesn't go along with the canon of the comic books, and that's kind of annoyed some comic book fans, but it does stay fairly in line with the films, what the films have already established. So if you're fans of the films, I think you will say that this is definitely X-Men done right. Um, myself, I didn't think I would like the 60s era feel, but I ended up loving it because of the way it's tied into historic events of that period. Um, yes, they did change things. I mean, the original X-Men, if I remember correctly, were um, Beast, uh, Angel, but not the angel we're given here, the male angel who, who's already made an appearance, um, Cyclops, and I want to say Jean Grey, maybe Iceman, um, but certainly not Wolverine. Wolverine came much later. Uh, Kitty Pride came much later. Rogue came much later. Later, so a lot of the characters who end up serving as the core group, um, like Storm, in the current films, were not part of the Origins team. And in fact, the only member of the Origins team that we're given here, besides Professor X or Charles Xavier, is the is Beast, um, Hank McCoy. But despite that, I think the characters they do bring in for the most part are interesting. There are some changes. Uh, but if you can kind of look beyond that, there's a pretty substantial story here. Um, you know, I think that I do. There is some criticism from comic book folks out there that the mutants that they do pick here. Um, you've got uh, uh, Angel, which she's, it's a female angel who's actually more like a flying bug. Uh, I thought it was Wasp at first um, from the Avengers, but no, in fact, she's an, she's another mutant who I was not familiar with. Um, a couple other characters, a character named Darwin, um, Havoc is here. I really liked Havoc. He's, he's somewhat of a significant character, but there was some criticism that they, there are other more famous mutants that they could have put in here than the ones they did. Um, but overall, I kind of liked, uh, the choices. The, the main idea here is, uh, the choice of Mystique, uh, and, um, her relationship with both of the main characters, um, Magneto and Professor X, Charles Xavier. Um, again, I came away really enjoying this film a lot more than I thought I was going to. I typically don't like origin stories, but this was really a, a very well-rounded and well-told story for the most part. And for me, it was the strongest of the X-Men films so far. Um, I tended not to like part two and part three that much. Um, and the the Wolverine film was was just just awful. So this is this was a nice redemption, and I wouldn't mind to see more uh, of the films follow after uh, the events of this film to tell more of the story of sort of a young Charles and and a young Magneto. Uh, Kevin, what do you say? Um, in the first part of the film, I I kind of liked how they had individual stories like. The story of Magneto I thought was pretty cool. Michael Fassbender is, is good as Magneto here. He's kind of like the Wolverine, like a like a, a little more like Wolverine, but less. What do I say? Less men, less witty comebacks. Yeah. 
I kind of like that he was like the the grumpy uh, character here in the series. Um, ultimately, I think it's the bromance between the man who reads minds and the man who controls Meadow. It is like a tragic bromance, uh, which is okay with me. I, I like that part of the film. Uh, I thought the plot was a little dense. Um, even though I like where it led to, I thought it kind of took a while or the second half kind of went a little too quickly, um, especially into the climax. Um, for some reason, I'm not really as enthusiastic about it as many people are. Uh, I'm not sure if it's because I'm not an X-Men fan. I'm okay with the X-Men movies. Um, I think I've seen them all. Uh, even though I, d- I did enjoy it as a reboot, as a kind of in- reintroduction of the franchise. Uh, for me, the first film is still the best. I think it was really tightly told. Um, it sets up just enough um, for bigger and bigger, bigger and better things. Um, even X2 for me was a little too ambitious, too big, too long. Um, I think this one also tries to do a little too much. Um, I'm not sure what tone they were going for. Uh, even though I liked the first act, I thought to get to where they were going, it took kind of long. It took out too long. And it's, like I said, the, the second act felt a little rushed, especially from what they finally setting up the real plot and, and finally getting to the climax. I thought it took a little too long. Um, the whole thing with Mystique and Professor X, um, I'm not so sure, especially after seeing, you know, it was Rebecca Romaine, Rebecca Romaine and, or I guess Romaine Stamos at the time, uh, and then Patrick Stewart, and then watching them at like the same age in this film, and like having this 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 platonic, um, best friend almost almost lovers relationship. It's really strange for me. Yeah, the, the, uh-huh. it was kind of a little bit of a rewrite, and you don't really get that that sense that these characters had that relationship in the, you know, the part in the the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. I always kind of like Mystique for, and I for lack of a better word, Mysterious in the first film, especially. Because she, she was so cool and just came out of nowhere. And she was like the cool villain uh, who had like the really, uh, really impressive power here. It's just her being kind of like the female lead. It's it's a little strange the way they really write the, the history here. Um, but Kevin Bacon. Well, first of all, I would like to thank Kevin Bacon for now expanding the six degrees of Kevin Bacon film <laughs> uh, in the game. <laughs> Because now, you know, you got all these new actors that can get connected to him. You know, now you could do like, uh, wait, was Brad Pitt ever in a movie with Kevin Bacon? No. Uh, you can connect like, uh, uh, who was in Winter's Bone with Jennifer Lawrence and then Jennifer Lawrence. And Jennifer Lawrence was in X-Men First Class with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. You know, that and kind pretty of- much anybody who was in uh, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, not well, no, because Professor X. That, he, he, this works. Wait, wait. Patrick Stewart was in X-Men with... Hugh Jackman, who no 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 don't don't give any spoilers. Okay, who ah, <laughs> Hugh Jackman was in <laughs> not to go the long way. Uh, some okay, okay Johnny Depp was in <laughs> Parents of the Caribbean. Kieran Knightley, who was in um, Atoma of James McAvoy, who was in X Men First Class with Kevin Bacon. There you go. There you go. All okay, right. yeah, <laughs> and okay, and who was cool as the uh, as the villain here? Um. I'm pretty sure his German was dubbed, though. I have to ask uh, Marco you about think that. So? Uh, I think so. I think it, so. It I sounded, thought it sounded pretty good. It sounded dubby, like it was dubbed by a much better German speaker. So you know, it was. But he was really. Some, cool some people have criticized uh, Michael Fassbender's. Apparently, he slips in and out of accents throughout the film. Doesn't really. They said they said doesn't really match up. So because his uh, his German accent plays such a big part in Glorious Bastards. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure why it was like that here. 
Um, for some reason, I'm a little underwhelmed. I mean, I thought it was an entertaining film. Um, you know, parts of it were great, but I think overall, for some reason, it didn't really flow quite well for me. I'm not sure what, to, uh, maybe because I'm not, I wasn't sure what kind of tone they were trying to do. Some people compare it to the, to the Dark Knight, which is totally wrong because they're totally different movies. This is more like, you know, the first X-Men, maybe a little lighter than the first X-Men, but yeah, closer to the first X-Men or, you know, more, less dark superhero films. So nothing like, you know, the Dark Knight. Um, I'm not so sure why, because, you know, it's a perfectly fine film. I think it's just, so I'm starting to think it's just me. Um, well, I think so, for the most part, um, people are looking at sort of the serious nature of the, you know, the, the, the villains here and, you know, uh, there's not as much grandstanding and grandeur as we had in sort of the X-Men films themselves. And, um, you know, they're, they're, you, you, in, in what is it, X2 and X3, you know, Magneto's walking around in his traditional Magneto uniform and he's got Sabretooth with him, you know. You don't have that same kind of sensibility that it's a comic book movie here because you've got the historical aspect and and you've got much darker darker notions about the government and and a lot of that stuff playing out here. So I kind of see the the comparison with Dark Knight. I don't agree with it necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Dark Knight's still on a completely different level. Um, but that's, I think tone wise is yeah, very different. Yeah. But that's one of the interesting things when we talk about superhero movies, and this is one of the things I really wanted to talk with Casey about, um, because he's really big into the, the, not only the films, but comic books, and, and he knows his stuff in that in that regard. But the idea that the films themselves for the Marvel Universe are still very... They've kept a pretty consistent tone, you know? Um, I know this has been intentional for, say, you know, Thor and... Iron Man, and <clears throat> I, I assume we'll see that for Captain America because they're all building into the Avengers film. But even so, the tone that was set, for example, in Thor, in in the Iron Man films, I could very easily see those characters in the X-Men films or in mm-hmm. this film, you know, conversing and, and doing dialogue with the characters we have here. Mm-hmm. I can't say the same for DC. I, I don't see, you know, I know we're going to see Green Lantern, and I haven't seen anything outside of the trailer, but I can't, I, I don't see, you know, Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan in that costume in the same frame with, you know, the Batman from The Dark Knight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're, they're the same universe, but they haven't built the films in the same way. But I think I'm fine with that because... In a way, DC films let the filmmakers talk. I think they let the filmmakers take on their own tone. You know, you got really dark, the really dark Batman movies, and you have something kind of light, like like Green Lantern. Um, and, you know, what's another DC film? Um, um, we haven't really had any. <laughs> well, no, there, there, there's a few, if I remember correctly. But I think they all kind of take their own tone, and in that way, the filmmakers get to. Oh, we had Superman Returns. Oh yeah, speak, uh, Superman Returns also kind of lighter, um, and and more much more referential to the, to the to the earlier films than let's say the universe and Marvel. You know they have their own thing going. They have the big, big you know, 
one big Avengers movie, and that's you know in a way that's also fine, but in a way that also against kind of limits how the filmmakers tell the story. I think, and especially uh, or specifically in the way in the tones and and you know having to throw in throw in you know references to other characters and things like that. Um, but I think both both approaches are fine. Um, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what was I gonna? back into so what's your um, what's your what's your verdict well what's my verdict um like i said i'm pretty sure it's just me who's not really that thrilled about the film even though i i see its value um i would like to see more of these characters uh like you did um so i would say see it uh especially if you're a comic book fan but be sure to read up my expand knowledge especially watch the films because even i couldn't catch up with some of the, the the cameos at certain points but i caught other things there were p- two people behind in front of me who had no idea who were like uh what's there wasn't that movie before this yeah it was one movie yeah and they, they had no idea it was like four movies and a prequel and all that and I'm, I'm wondering how lost they were so yeah be sure to read up on your x-men knowledge and so in that way it's not really an origins film it is a prequel but you can't just watch this and then step into x-men you will have to watch the x-men movies and then watch this i think in that order yeah i would agree with that i i for me it's a definite see it um i would say you don't need to read up on x-men at all because it's completely different but do watch the other films even if you can stomach um the the, the wolver origins wolverine one uh, because it does kind of fill in a gap between this and uh the the first x-men film a little bit um but yeah, definitely see it. In fact, I'd say this of comic book movies so far, um, I, I like this better than Thor. I don't know. We'll have to see what Green Lantern's like. I think I agree. Weeks. All right. Let me play this one. East Green, West Green. Okay. Comments. I only posted the show a couple days ago because I've been so behind, but we did get a couple comments. Uh, we talked about uh, Gary's comment with regard to Virtual Recall. I think Kevin mentioned that point a little bit earlier. Um, he goes on to talk a little bit about one of the actresses, Mandy Chang. Who is she? Was she the assistant? She was the uh, the, the girl who works in the store. The, the girl who okay. steals away Stephen Fung, yeah. Okay. She, yeah. Was a, she was a EG, EG yeah, star. She, he says, she's moved on, quit the Hong Kong entertainment industry, and is running a clothing shop in Taiwan. Good yes. for her. Glad to see that she had her film experience and said, this is not for me. Well, I'm pretty sure she decided that when she was on virtual recon and saw Final Cut. <laughs> oh, my God. What yeah, am I doing? Says, I need to go to another universe and start a new life. <laughs> and she went to Taiwan. Um, so Matt S. wrote in, he talked a little bit about, uh, last time we talked about The Hobbit, he says, I guess it makes sense to bring familiar Lord of the Rings actors back for The Hobbit in terms of the box office, but given how bloated these movies are to begin with, it seems odd to introduce characters and scenes that aren't in the original story, especially if they end up cutting significant Hobbit content from the film. I kind of feel that the Hobbit movies should be able to stand on their own, much like the book. I read it with no idea of what was to come. If they cut to Mount Doom or Battle of the Pelennor Fields every 10 minutes, I think it could trivialize the original tale. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I see his point, and I agree with him. Um, the original book, the original, even if you go and watch the cartoon, the, the, the Bank and Rass cartoon, says nothing about what's to come. There's no mention of Frodo 
uh, of Sam. I do believe in the book you do have uh, Gandalf. I I want to say it's in the Hobbit, the novel, but it's not. It's not in the cartoon. But I think Gandalf does go when he leaves the company. He does go and he meets with um, Saruman, the white, at, at a certain point, and also Radagast the brown. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff in the book too, like Tom Bombadil and stuff that I do hope they kind of cut out, which is, uh, not integral to the, to the story that's going on. But yeah, I really don't know why they'd want to come in and, and do the Frodo thing. And cause he's really not in the, in that story at all. So I'm guessing they just want to make sure that, you know, people who liked the Lord of the Rings have a reason to go and watch this since they won't, mm. since it's basically an all new cast with the exception of Ian McKellen. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'll be disappointed if they kind of too heavily laden this with connections to the films. I don't know. What do you think, Kevin? I, I never read The Hobbit, so I have no idea. I know it was like, in middle school, it was like everything, it was all over the shelves. It was like library, every English classroom had it. And it was just like, did you ever see the the cartoon? No, I just, I'm totally not. I never read the Lord of the Rings novel. I, First, uh, first time I saw the first movie, I fell asleep. It took me about three times before I watched. Oh, dude. Before I finally finished the first film, and then I finally okay. okay I, I was reading those this. books back to front, front to back, playing Dungeons and Dragons. I was all through that watching, watching the, the original cartoon. Then there was a movie uh, that was done on, uh, using a sort of a rotoscoping kind of animation uh, back in the day, and then there was a. There was another TV movie to do The Return of the King to try and wrap everything up. Um, and I used, I've watched those so many times. And I, I mean, I, a lot of the not, a lot of the, the, the dialogue I can, I could sit there and I could, re, could recite and my, you know, me and my friends, we'd be totally geeking out and doing lines from the, from the shows and everything. But the original really just is a very con, concise story of its own, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's its own journey, its own adventure. It's it's small, it's accessible, and the, the I think the story is is that Tolkien originally wrote that for his kids, mm. um, sort of a, as an entry into this very complex world mm. that he had created. So um, hopefully they'll fair, take that it, simple that simple at, approach to it, keep it fun. To be fair, the time I was supposed to read it, I didn't really speak any English, so I would say I. Come pretty far. I'm a little late bloomer, I guess, mm. to, to these kind of literature. Yeah. yeah, so that's comments. Um, so thanks for writing into the comments. Again, a big thanks to Casey Lau, even though he could not be here. We hope to have him on in the very near future. Uh, special thanks to my very good co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma, for putting up with the Skype problems and agreeing to do this um, a day later. Uh, if you would like to follow along with us, you can, of course, visit our website at www.concast.com, or you can drop by iTunes, leave us a review, tell us some comments, give us some feedback. We would love to hear from you. You can follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash concast, or you can follow the daily exploits and uh, ideologies, if you will of Mr. Ma over at hmm. twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That is one word. Um, or you can email us here directly at the show at eastscreen at gmail.com. 
Um, send along some thoughts, a comment, a question. You can even send a short uh, audio file, MP3 format, and we might play it here on the show. Um, Mr. Ma, where can they find other stuff that you do? Um, I do also write reviews for lovehongkongfilm.com. That's lovehkfilm.com. Um, I have two reviews ready to write. Um, actually, that would be the indie film Glamorous Youth, and hopefully I'll be writing the review for the Better Tomorrow remake, the Korean one. Um, also, you can find my reviews on www.ypmovies.com.hk. Uh, go to the English page, and um, for many currently playing English language films, you will see my reviews. This week, I am not reviewing anything, but um, it is a very packed week next week. Um, so we'll see what I get to do then. Yeah. All right. And so next time, uh, we will be here for episode 69, Sex and Zen 3D. Whoa. Whoa. Are we going back Whoa. in time? Oh, what's happening? Uh, we're having a virtual recall. Um, no, uh, we will be back, though, for episode 70, and we'll be talking about uh, the latest Hong Kong film from Wong Jing and Jim Chim, that is Micro Sex Office, um, based on a local uh, stage drama of the same name. And we'll also be talking about the latest Steven Spielberg, J.J. Abrams venture, Super 8, and our experience in hopping the border, to watch Kung Fu Panda 2. All that will be here next time. Until then, well, uh, try to avoid any virtual or real recalls if you can. As always, we will wish you good viewing and we'll see you then. Uh, see you next time and don't tweet like Anthony Weiner. Don't tweet like Anthony Weiner. Seriously, don't don't do it. Don't tweet your Weiner. Don't tweet your Weiner like Anthony uh, Weiner. Since all right. we're all going puns. <laughs> that was I good. Have total recall. <laughs> that was great. Uh, classic.